This is NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 11. Today's guest is Dr. Aaron Flynn Evans, research psychologist and director of the Fatigue Countermeasures Laboratory at NASA Ames. We discuss her research on human fatigue studies and how her work is preparing NASA for the journey to Mars. Uh, we also go over the applications her work has on technology and autonomy, in addition to aeronautics research. Here is Dr. Aaron Flynn Evans. How did you get to NASA? How did you get to Silicon Valley and to Ames, particularly? Sure. Yeah. So, I uh, I was always interested in NASA, but more mm-hmm. as a fan than as okay. uh, thinking about this as a potential research career. Yeah. Uh, so I <clears throat> was in Boston. I was at Harvard, and I was working on lots of different types of studies uh-huh. related to sleep and circadian rhythms. Okay, and so not not like astronomy, not space, nope. and not science. Okay, <laughs> not space, not astronomy. Interesting. Okay, not physics. Nope. And one day, uh, I was in my office, and uh, another researcher came in, and she said, "Hey, uh, I'm doing this project with NASA, but I really don't like to travel. Um, <laughs> somebody told me you like NASA. Would you like to do it?" And I was like, "Really? Um, yeah." <laughs> so I said yes, jumped in. Um, the study was on sleep in space. And okay. yeah, so I got to go to NASA JSC from Boston every couple of weeks or so during- How, how long ago was this? Uh, this was back maybe 2009 or okay. so, yeah. Right. And I, so I was interviewing the shuttle crew before and after they went up. Really? Talking to them about sleep in space, measuring their sleep in space and on the ground. Have been doing that beforehand? Um, well, this was an ongoing study, okay. and sleep has been measured in space before, but this was the largest study that, um, at this point, this is the largest study that's ever been done mm-hmm. in space. And so it was really cool because I got to talk to totally. a ton of astronauts, learn a lot about NASA, learn a lot about um, sleep in mm-hmm. you know an unusual environment. And one day, um, I think through my colleagues at JSC, somebody gave me a call and said, hey, there's an opening at NASA Ames, so you should maybe consider really? applying. So, so, that, <laughs> so you're yeah. kind of like a visiting professor, researcher, something over it with NASA for a while. and uh, Yeah, I was working on a NASA grant. So NASA, oh, okay. yeah, so NASA grants external um, universities to do work. So that's what I was doing. And then just had a really great experience, really enjoyed oh, everybody fun. that I met. And so when the opportunity came up here, I didn't know a lot about what NASA Ames was all about. Yeah. And so I uh, did a little homework, learned a lot about not just the space side of things, but the yeah. aviation work. And um, totally. for my work in particular, NASA Ames has a very illustrious history in mm-hmm. fatigue risk management um, in aviation. And so, uh, after doing you a little bit, don't want people of, falling asleep while yeah, just flying exactly. an airplane or and, the shuttle. <laughs> yeah. So after uh, looking at that, I was really excited because I thought, well, do I really want to narrow my career to just sleep in space? There's not a lot of people that go to space. What are you know? How much can I expand yeah. my career? But when I learned about uh, the diversity of research that I could do here at Ames, I thought, well, yeah, that's that's a great career opportunity. I'm going to go for it. And obviously, I got the job. Um, that was three <laughs> years ago, and wow. uh, the rest is history. So we've been building the lab, doing a mm-hmm. lot of. A lot of different types of research now than just the space flight side. And so when you came over, it was it was an already like established office, or were you did you come over to kind of help 
build it and came, make it. Yeah, know. I came over to rebuild it. So wow, in okay. the 80s, um, Dr. Mark Rosekind, who is currently now the head of the National Highway Transportation Authority, um, founded the Fatigue Countermeasures Lab here at NASA Ames Research Center. And he really was the, um, you know, sort of seminal researcher in fatigue risk management, building fatigue risk management plans mm-hmm. for aviation. Um, so he had the lab at that point, really created a legacy. Uh, but some years ago, the uh, lab was yeah. dissolved. And okay. so I came in kind of to rebuild it. <laughs> and, and so that's really what we've been doing since I got here. Well, so, okay, so now I'm fascinated by what, what kind of research do you do from here on sleep? Because I imagine it, it, when you were at Johnson, you're talking yeah. to the astronauts, you're understanding how they are. I'm sure even with the people who are actually in the space station or in the shuttle, right. you know, understanding. But for here, is it still with humans doing sleep stuff? Yeah. Or is it how, mm-hmm. how, how does that work? Yeah, so it's all humans. Um, we have a variety of studies in our portfolio right now. Um, so You bring people in and they sleep? We do. Or try to. <laughs> yeah, so we do field experiments. So we study pilots who are flying around the world, probably flying some of the um, flights that you've been on. And we look at long haul um, flights. So we have some pilots who are flying around the world, you know, 15 hour um, flights who have to rest really? on. Board, um, and then we look at short haul where pilots are up and down and up and down or working overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also do lab studies, so we keep people. Mostly, the lab <laughs> studies are about not sleeping, so we test yes. the effects of sleep deprivation on human physiology. So we wow. did a recent study where we kept people up for about thirty hours, um, just sitting in bed, really you know, totally awake. Yeah. How, do you do you guys do things to keep them awake, or are they just told like? Try yeah. to stay awake. No, we yeah, we have to do things to keep them awake so because bright lights, loud noises. No, so. so light affects your circadian rhythm, and okay. so we really want to take that factor out when we're trying to measure basic circadian physiology and sleep deprivation. Okay. So it's we put that we put participants in a dark room. We have them sit in a bed, and then um, <laughs> basically. We do all of our measures, but in order to keep them awake throughout the sleep deprivation, we have uh, research assistants and interns who sit with them and talk. And talk to them. They play games. Um, so Monopoly is a hot one. eyes slowly get more chess. and more bloodshot. Yeah, <laughs> nodding exactly. off. Yeah, so it's like a marathon, and so they wow. complete the sleep deprivation. We get our measures, and then we learn more about how the body works. And, and so I mean, I'd imagine you have like all kinds of like instrumentation, like like, like oh yeah, stuff, you know. Yeah. Taking heart rate and periodically checking Absolutely. different vital signs. Yep. So we um, probably do everything you could imagine and more. So we do um, electroencephalography, which is basically yeah, EEG. It's um, brainwave okay. activity. And so they have electrodes on their head. They have electrodes on their chest. They have a temperature sensor in some cases um, because we measure body temperature. We measure blood pressure. So we're really, we collect urine. We collect saliva. All throughout this like, <laughs> all throughout like 30 hours? 30 hours. Or do you go awake. until they can't take it anymore? <laughs> yeah. Until we fall asleep well, and then it's over? <laughs> so... <laughs> 30 hours was the the recent study that okay. we did, um, but but that's a short one, actually. Really? So, you know, a more typical, this is called a constant routine protocol, more typical one would be maybe 50 hours or 50, 52 hours, so. So you basically like live at, your, at the lab? They live at the lab for a couple of days, yep. Okay, and so <clears throat> obviously you're getting all of this like data from them, mm-hmm. and I'm sure like understanding like how they're operating like, like right. how does that then translate into you know like like space flights and just right. or even like 
airplanes? How, how does that translate into it? It's a great question. So it depends on the study, but in this particular case, the recent study that we did was to um, measure a new device that we think okay. might help uh, in predicting fatigue or assessing fatigue. And like a so, warning system or something? Kind or? of, yeah. Okay. And so this particular uh, device that we were assessing tracks eye movements. And uh, it was developed by Dr. Lee Stone, who is also here at Ames. Oh, yeah. And uh, what we did was we gave these people this eye test over and over and over again throughout the day and the night while they were experiencing the sleep deprivation. What kind of eye test is this? Like like a normal optometrist? You see the E? Yeah, the not quite. Letters. Yeah, so they have to stare at a screen with moving dots. So pretty boring and um, not is particularly exciting. one of those exciting. when you click the button when you see a flash or something? Basically, yeah. If anybody exactly. who's been to the optometrist, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're familiar yeah. with it. Exactly. And so we are finding that we can pick up um, signals that show when somebody is maybe too sleepy to perform. And so we could, you know, theoretically take a device like this, um, move it into either aviation or spaceflight, and maybe have a better way to detect when people are sleepy. Because you would think that somebody yeah. would say, oh, I'm too tired to do this or that. Um, but the reality is that we aren't very good at detecting when we're actually not performing well. Yeah. Okay, you're probably the yeah. best. You're like, I'm good, I'm yeah, good. Exactly. Like, you're probably the worst judge right. of how well you're doing. Yeah, I've been up 30 hours, no problem. Like, yeah. I'm good, I feel yeah. great. And you're like, no, buddy. Yeah, exactly. So we need these objective tests to be able to keep everyone safe when they're flying around the world and also to keep the astronauts safe mm -hmm. um, when they're performing complex tasks in space. So what are some of the interesting findings and conclusions you kind of kind of have learned in the course of being here and especially you know from the you did sleep work at harvard before and then right. coming to, like what are some of the cool stories or cool things that you discovered yeah. that, you, that surprised you i guess well I, I think you know there's a lot of really interesting and exciting things that we do i think one of the most interesting would be that when um, scientists and astronauts here on Earth are working on Mars rovers, they work uh -huh. on Mars time. And Mars is a little has a rotation that's a little bit longer than an Earth day. Okay. And you would think that might not be a big deal for, you know, um, you might think, oh, you know, it's about 39 minutes longer. So big deal, not yeah. too much different. But the reality is that when you're shifting a little bit later every day, particularly if you're working on Earth, after a couple of weeks, you're going to be sleeping during during the day and working at night, it's and you're just gonna rotate around rhythm. again. Exactly. And so it's been really valuable for us because we can study these scientists and engineers who are working on like the Mars Curiosity rover, for mm -hmm. example, and then take that information and provide guidance that might be helpful for when humans go to Mars and have to live on Mars. So that's really been exciting. It's a bit two birds with one stone. It's like they exactly. were already doing their science right. <laughs> for the Mars rover, but then right. also get more info. Exactly. So it's been really, really fun. And then I think one other project that we've done that's been one of my yeah. favorites that I've ever done is we're working on helping to design the um, habitable environment for future space vehicles, um, particularly okay. with respect to the sleep environment. And so this is like talking about like like the Orion, like Journey to Mars. Orion yeah, capsule. Orion and beyond. And so okay. we're putting together some guidance. And again, you think, oh, guidance, that sounds kind of boring. But to do yeah. this, we really had to assess what constitutes an optimal sleep environment because many of us don't even have an optimal sleep environment here on earth you know <laughs> you want cool dark quiet and when 
you're in space, that's really hard to achieve. Yeah, because it's not like there's a normal sunrise, sunset. No, you don't yeah. have to establish that yourself. And then probably even like shifts. Exactly. So we have to design basically a sunrise, sunset type of protocol. We have to uh, make sure that they have enough space to do everything that they need to do um, in addition to sleeping. Um, and then we need to make sure that um, in their sleep space, you know, there's noise mitigation, sound mitigations, light mitigations, so that they can wow. have sleep that's not disruptive what do you see is kind of like like the next the next steps because you're getting this data you're, yeah. you're kind of built is, is it really f more so focused towards those long-term habitats or do you even look at like what it would be like on mars or sure you know? yeah so we are thinking about um long-term habitats so um it's it's going to be really complicated i mean anything yeah. related to mars is complicated but we need to figure out how we can take um, enough equipment and supplies to create two different sleep environments because when you're on a ship you can use all of the habitable volume around you so if you're sitting in a typical room if mm -hmm. you wanted to go to sleep you know if you were on the space station you could sleep on the ceiling or you could sleep curled up in a ball in the corner it really doesn't matter where you are you can use all of that space um, so we can have vertical um, sleep chambers for the astronauts okay. and we have vertical sleep chambers right now up on iss but when we go to Mars, obviously, we need horizontal positioning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to have gravity to deal with. And we also know from life on Earth that uh, comfort is a big deal once you have gravity again. Yeah. And so you you can't just have a military issue caught. You're going to need something that's comfortable and stable that is um, accommodating inter-individual differences. So there are so, a lot of things. So talk a little bit more about like about the, the space station because, I mean – you think you lay down, you sleep. Like I like to sleep on my side, you know. Yeah. But it's like you're in space and like zero gravity or very very low gravity. You're just kind of floating out there. Oh yeah. So yep. <laughs> what is that like for them? Like how? Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's got to be pretty crazy. Obviously, it's hard I to get used to, to space, even. You know. Yeah, I think they do report that it can be hard to get used to. Um, the crew members who have gone up a couple of times will say that their body kind of remembers sleeping in space. Okay. Um, but a really cool thing is not everybody sleeps quite the same in space. So some people like to free float. And so some people will really? just free float. And we hear from other crew members like, oh, yeah, this guy likes to float. And he'll, we'll just see him sleep in and he'll float by. And we have to move him back to his space. <laughs> um, whereas other crew members, you know, prefer the sensation of being, you know, tied down to something so they'll like harness themselves to a wall in order to sleep and maybe even harness a pillow to their head really oh just yeah. as like just a to mental feel thing. that sensation it's like, yeah it's not like you have that pressure exactly of a, so this seems like this would I mean not only relevant to nasa and to space flight and long-term journey to mars but i can imagine there's a lot of transfer for like other industries here oh or sure. even to like yeah private sector stuff for even applicable to Anything from like nurses or yeah. truck drivers, or let alone like I mean, talking about like airplane, you know, air pilots. So, uh, are you right. working with people on that? Or absolutely, yeah, we're working with a lot of different groups here on the ground. Um, you know, with airlines, we're working on improving the um, bunks for you know the the really big airplanes like the triple seven and the seven forty seven, so that they get uh, better sleep when they're on a plane. Um, and then we have to do a lot with shift work because. Because again, you know, when we think mm -hmm. about Mars, we have to think about how do we shift somebody's rhythm so they can sleep at different times of day. When we think about um, the space station, they don't have 
sunrise and sunset, so we have to have special lighting to help them shift. And so we can use that technology that we develop, the types of lighting protocols that we have, the scheduling protocols that we have, and bring them back to Earth to help doctors, nurses, truck drivers, really anybody okay. who does any sort of shift so work. Basically, that guidance. I mean, it's just kind of yeah. like, here, here's our, our recommendations. Exactly. Of, if you want to optimize how your workers are sleeping, this is right. what we recommend. Uh-huh. And it helps with jet lag, too. So we can oh, optimize... Yeah. Um, sleep schedules so that people can recover from jet lag more quickly, which I think is really valuable for those of us who are constantly popping around the country or beyond. So, but for you, has yeah. it changed how you sleep? Do you actually <laughs> apply what you learn? Is I, that like <laughs> I do. I absolutely apply what I learn. In fact, um, I I try to keep. I I really you know, I see the data every day. So I know the connection between cognitive function and sleep. And I know that if I don't get appropriate sleep, you cannot claim ignorance. Right. No. And too much. The problem is I'm going to be making mistakes, but I don't know the mistakes that I'm making. And that's the problem. So I know at least with good sleep, um, I'm, I'm less likely to have those lapses in attention. Um, and I'm going to London for a study on yeah. uh, Sunday, and I've been sleep shifting myself so that I'll be um, ready to go mm-hmm. when I arrive and can oh, jump so right into meetings. So you're prepping yourself exactly. for that time yep. change. Because, I don't know, maybe it's in my head, but it always feels like it's worse heading east. It is worse. As opposed to yeah. coming west, then it seems like it's no big deal. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's because um, there are two reasons, actually. One is that most people, about uh, two-thirds of the population, have a circadian rhythm, which that's mm-hmm. your internal clock, that's set a little bit late. So it's easier for people to kind of stay up a little bit later. More people are night owls than are early birds. And so when oh, you travel okay. west, it's you're just staying up a little bit later. You're just staying up a little bit later. Whereas if you're going east, you have to get up, you know, if you're going from west coast to east coast, the difference between 7 a.m. and 4 a.m. is pretty huge. Yeah. And then the other issue is that um, the way that the circadian rhythm adjusts to new time zones is through light. And when you travel eastward, you get light at the wrong time. And so that actually really messes up your mm-hmm. body clock and makes it much more difficult for you to, to, to adjust and synchronize. Whereas when you travel west, you don't have the same type of problem. For anybody listening and it's yeah. kind of like, I feel tired or they just, apart from just wanting to learn about NASA and wanting to learn yeah. about science, um, what are the, the the typical tips of like, this is how you stay awake, this is how you stay alert. Obviously, if you're going to London, you're yeah. doing a trip, you can prep yourself a little bit. Right. But what's the, what's the stuff that people probably take for granted, but are little changes that could make their lives better? Yeah. So... Um, well, one is ca- related to caffeine. So caffeine, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, caffeine is a countermeasure that I think we all use, um, yeah. myself included. Um, but there was a recent study that was not done by our lab, was, was okay. done by a military group. And they found that when people use caffeine habitually, um, after a few days, they stop receiving the benefit of the alerting effects of caffeine. And instead, okay. they just get more irritated. And so, really? so a really good way to use caffeine is when you don't need it, don't use it. And you know, okay. try to get enough sleep, obviously, and use it only when you're running a little bit low. So okay. that's one thing So don't thing make that's it really a valuable. habit. Have decaf exactly. until you need to pick me up. 
and then use it. it that way. Yep. And then another tip would be just if you have to stay up late, if you're traveling across time zones, you really want to think about your light exposure. And so okay. if you're at home and you have to stay up late and get a report done, um, it's not a great idea to be exposed to your, you know, the bright lights overhead and the screen, mm-hmm. your screen, because that's going to cause your body to shift. It's like jet lag. You're, you're kind really? of shifting later. And so you can download some... Um, tools that will take the blue spectrum out of your computer. Okay. And you probably know about I've night shift. I've noticed it on my iPhone. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> at a certain point in time, iPhone. it kind of shifts from takes that blue that to blue more out. orangish. Yep. And that's going to help keep your circadian rhythm stable in your own time zone. And so if you really want to ma- try to maintain that regular schedule, even for those times when you kind of have to you know, bleed your work life into your home life, mm-hmm. um, having that If you do need to crash, out, exactly. take some of that light out. Yep. So that you'll be able to... Um, go to bed at a normal time the next day. But then if you want to shift, you want the blue light. So if you were traveling, say, from the East Coast to the West Coast, you'd want to blast yourself with bright light in the evening to help you shift to that later time. Okay, so just kind of stay up. I guess it's like if you're going that way, you kind of stay up. You get more light anyway, yeah. But you want to make sure you get lots of sun exposure in the evening. Make sure that you're, um, you know, you may want to turn your night shift off on your iPhone to get that extra (laughs) blue light um, to adjust you. And it's the reverse going the other way. And that's that's, again, what makes it harder when you go from the West Coast to the East Coast. You want to keep it dark in the morning, roughly until you know, fairly close to when you normally would get up. So wear sunglasses, Mm -hmm. keep it kind of dim. And then each day, expose yourself to light a little bit earlier. And that's going to help you shift a little bit faster. Oh, cool. So um, as a a researcher, as you start going through this, um, obviously you are looking at the long-term habitats, but what what is – What's percolating in your head for the next kind of experiments or next kind of things that you're interested or kind of areas (laughs) that kind of just spark your interest, I guess? Yeah, we have a lot on the table right now that we're looking for. And I think the biggest one actually relates to autonomy and autonomous systems. Oh, wow. Which probably, yeah, kind of sounds out of left field. But um, as we develop autonomous systems, you know, Mm -hmm. self-driving cars, as our airplanes become more automated, um, we still have people who are operators of those systems, mm-hmm. right? You're going to still have a driver for a while. We have these vehicles that can self-drive a little bit, but you're still... Yeah, it's almost like a know, souped-up cruise control, exactly. but you're still supposed to be you're, alert and ready to take over right. at a moment's notice. Yeah. But if people get complacent, that's got to... That's, that's right. kind of a problem. And we're worried that maybe as people are sleepy, because we are a sleep-deprived nation, yeah. they're going to become... Uh, it's going to be much more difficult for them to take control when they need to take control. They're going to be much less aware in addition to just kind of tuning out because the automation is on. Um, mm-hmm. We feel like their ability to jump in and take over may may suffer um, with sleep Probably deprivation. that inertia where you're kind of sluggish where you hear that alarm and it takes you a moment to zap out and right. jump into it. Yeah. And so you can't we're, be at that heightened state right yeah. away. We're working on strategies to try to figure out how we can take sleepy people and put them in those situations where they may be dealing with partial autonomy to see if we can um, help develop strategies to help keep people alert and aware of their surroundings um, or to help them better jump back in when the moment Mm -hmm. arises. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a lot of, you know, similarities between, you know, autopilot on a plane and then is what are starting to come into vehicles, whether it's truck driving or just like personal vehicles or, you know. Absolutely. They're hugely similar. Yeah. Excellent. So if anybody wanted to find more information on some of the stuff that you're working on, where where do people go to learn about more about Dr. Aaron? Right. So (laughs) we um, we are 
shortly um, deploying our website, actually. Okay. Within days, um, we should be deploying our website. And so if they go to the NASA Ames um, Human Factors website, they should be able to navigate to the Fatigue Countermeasures Laboratory and see more about our our lab, our staff, and all of the studies that we're doing. Well, we can throw that up on on our landing page so we can have the link over there. And also for anybody who has questions for for Aaron, um, we are at NASA Ames on Twitter and we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Thank you so much for coming. This is fascinating. Thank you. I appreciate it.